Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome back to Test Tubes and Cauldrons, a podcast where we talk about the intersection of science and spirituality. So this week, we have an exciting episode for you. We are going to be talking about chaos magic with a good friend of ours, um, Cap, who's in a couple of other servers that we're all in. But before we get to Captain and him introducing himself, um, we are going to do our What Happened on This Day. It is currently June 19th, um, and in the science realm, in 1963, Valentina, oh boy, I shouldn't have chosen this one because I can't pronounce the name, Valentina Tereshkova, a Soviet astronaut, returned to Earth after spending nearly three days as the first woman in space. She was launched into space on June 16th aboard the Vostok 6 and became the first woman to travel in space for flight, making 48 orbits around the Earth. I thought that was kind of interesting and cool today. But without further ado, Capt, welcome. We're so excited to have you on the podcast. Do you want to take a second and introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about what you do, um, your spiritual path and spiritual beliefs. All right. So... Thank you for having me here. Um, my name is Kat. I'm a professional yoga instructor. I also study Hellenistic astrology and do a reading commission like as a side project. From that, I also study planetary magic and chaos magic. Yeah, I blame Kat for getting me into planetary magic. He's the one who opened that hole for me and I dove real deep. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just convert everyone around me. <laughs> Ew, it's so funny. Let's just get into it. So the first thing that we have on here, kind of like with all of our episodes, we want to talk about what chaos magic is and whether it's possible. Um, like, can we? Is it a defined paradigm or is it a practice that's a little bit too broad to peg by a singular definition? What does everybody think? So I'm going to preface this whole episode by saying that I'm not a coyote. So uh, please don't hold me too accountable for anything I say wrong <laughs> during this episode. Um, but I think that chaos magic is quite misunderstood. Um, it was originally developed by Austin Osman Spare and Ray Sherman. And it had quite a defined philosophy behind it, um, where there's a very strong focus on the power of belief. It's, it's not just kind of anything goes. It's often very results focused and it often, although not always, adopts a psychological model as part of rejection of absolute truth. Uh, most chaos I know tend to utilize the power of suggestion to a great degree and they also tend to be quite eclectic practices. I know that Crowley wasn't a chaos, but um, I found a quote from him which I think speaks to the philosophy behind chaos magic. By doing certain things, certain results will follow. Students are most earnestly warned against attributing objective reality or philosophic validity to any of them. So I'm kind of curious about what you guys think about that um, and whether the uh, paradigm of chaos magic is any more defined or if it's really more of a philosophy. I think for me, chaos magic is more of a approach to like understanding the mechanism of how magic works. There is like a clear cut thing for chaos magic, but it's like, it's not like you need to do like a certain way to like get into a spell work or something. There is like a six of set principle that you kind of follow and like keep in mind as you approach magic in the chaos magic way, avoidance of dogmatism, like your experience being the first and foremost thing, and then gnosis trans state. It's more of a, a principle of approach more than a clear cut tradition. Can you kind of go through the all of like the the chaos magic principles? Like you said the first one was avoidance of dogmatism. What are some of the others? Okay, so sixth principle of chaos magic, avoidance of dogma or dogmatism. 
the first one. Second one is personal experience is paramount. The third one is technical excellence. You figure out like exactly what works and what does not work for you. The fourth one is deconditioning. You know how it's like the paradigm or like the psychological. This is why I like the psychological model is kind of there because like you have to decondition yourself to be able to like open up to the possibility of magic and whatnot. And then the fifth one is diverse approaches. So don't just stick to one approach. So like for me, I study a lot of various tradition just to help me, like yoga, planetary magic, astrology, all of that helps with me. The chaos magic, I like five. Kind of like not unique, but more like a personal, individual approach that I, that and how I see the mechanism of how magic works because like, I do see it from like a like a planetary. Uh, in a planetary magic, we have this like we call Chaldean order of the planetary manifestation from Saturn to the Moon and then to the Earth, and that is one of them. And then the sixth one, the last one is Gnosis. Gnosis is the is the outer state of consciousness, so it's like the trans state that we usually talk about. chaos magic yeah thanks for sharing those i am also not a chaotic (laughs) so please don't take anything i say with like absolute validity here but chaos magic to me seems to be based a lot on the understanding that order is a concept that is imposed on the universe when in reality chaos magicians kind of see the universe as like this fast ever-changing whole that transcends any kind of categorization or actual order. I actually read an interesting description of chaos magic while researching for this episode, and it said, quote, chaos is seen not as the disorder that is opposed to order, but as the order beyond understanding. And I thought this was really interesting and thought it spoke really well to the experimental aspect that chaos magic seems to fit in and how this often leads to very eclectic practices. I I am also... I'm also not a chaot. I feel like that's just all of us saying that. Yeah, I was trying to do some research into chaos magic before recording this. I started reading. Um, I've had some chaos magic books on my like to read book or to read list or things that are often recommended when you're looking into chaos magic. And one of the things that I was reading a little bit was Lieber Null and Psychonaut. It hurt my brain. One of the interesting things was just the way that it, it really puts an emphasis on the mind specifically in the power of the mind, which is why I think the psych module and uh, chaos magic seem to go hand in hand or why they're often talked about together. It says in uh, Libra Null, magic is the science and art of causing change to occur in conformity with will. The will can only become magically effective when the mind is focused and not interfering with the will. The mind must first discipline itself to focus its entire attention on some meaningless phenomena. So it's talking about like how to get your mind to a certain state. And it was interesting because this is where sigils come from, right? They come from Libra Null and Psychonaut. And this idea of forgetting and like not, it was like not lusting after results to the point of almost, yeah, it was like, don't let the the result like enter enter your mind, I guess. And that's what I took away from what he was saying was like, don't focus on the result while you're doing the magical working, which is interesting because that seems like diametrically opposed to a lot of folk magic where you're supposed to be thinking about what you want the result to be while you're doing the magical working. So I thought that was kind of interesting that it seemed to be very much opposed or at opposite to certain other paradigms. So something I wanted to bring up, because um, a, a lot of the definitions we've discussed, there's a lot about um, 
rejection of absolute truth, rejection of an absolute reality. And so I wanted to maybe put Capt on the spot a little bit here and ask, what does reality look like to a coyote? Like what, what is reality and how, do, how, how would a coyote define it? I cannot speak for like other chaos because like they might see it differently. But like for me, well, reality, there is no debate that we are sitting here in front of the screen talking right now. That's like one thing. If you go by the microcosm, macrocosm thing, there is the this understanding in the occult world that if you take control of your microcosm, you can in some way affect your, your the macrocosm around yourself. And like the microcosm that you grew up in, like the environment, how you were raised in the family can also affect your microcosms of your mind and whatnot in, in some way, shape or form. I see the mind and the psychology as part of your microcosm. So like if you can take control of that in a certain level, you can kind of shift and change how you perceive and how you will act onto the microcosm. So that is the malleable part of the the reality. A- apparently, like you cannot like you know like grow wings and whatnot. If you are a dancer, you have to have a dancer mindset, like that kind of thing, and like that that thing can be trained through re- repetition and whatnot. If you look at like people who just like started out dancing, they might not have that dancer mindset, so like they might not be able to like step on stage and dance at their full capacity. Because even though it's just like the mental game is is a very important part of the uh, human activity. If you take control of your microcosm, which is like your mind, your psychology, you can in a way open up yourself to the macrocosm in some way. That's really it's interesting to hear you talk about the macrocosm and microcosm in more of like a physical way because like the way i envision and this might actually influence how i think about this i'll have to think about it more um is like the microcosm is physical reality so it's everything including yourself and also the world around us this kind of closed system whereas the macrocosm are things on more of like a spiritual level plane that we don't fully understand yet but it's interesting to hear it talked about as in like where you are the microcosm and then the world around you is the macrocosm that's very interesting we're gonna briefly go over the history um and influence us on chaos magic and i can kind of start us off and hanny mentioned this a bit in the beginning but to my understanding chaos magic originated with austin osmond spare from his critiques of traditional ritual magic and then later, Ray Sherman, um, who was the originator of chaos magical theory. Bear was actually an associate of Crowley, but broke off and then streamlined his own version of magic, which removed the superfluous activity of ceremonial practice that he believed essentially prevented practitioners from discovering their power. And Capt, I know like you, since you are a KO, you probably have much more like a better understanding of the history. So do you want to maybe touch on that a little bit? One thing about me is that I am really bad with history. <laughs> Not just like the occult world. I I got I got C in Thai history in high school. So like I that I'm that bad, okay? So, <laughs> it's okay. This is a science podcast. It's okay. Yeah, to yeah. Okay. <laughs> I I read like a brief history of AO Spare. Also at the time, theosophy was also gaining movement. It's not just the, the Western side, but he also has like some of the exposure to like the Eastern philosophy and whatnot. It's a mix of a lot of things because from my like my understanding as a yoga practitioner and what I learned from my guru and whatnot, like how yoga view the mind is that there are various layers of the mind. And there is this part of the mind that's called chitta. Sometimes it's like it's translated as the mind itself without any shattering, without any like memory, without any like imagination. It's just like the pure part of the mind is called chitta. From my understanding, that 
Cheetah and the trans state is very, very similar. So like it says that like, if you can have control your, over your cheetah, you can have access to the knowledge that is beyond yourself. In a way, you can like manifest things if you have if you can touch your cheetah. In a way, if you like train yourself to be able to like focus your cheetah on something. It's very similar to how chaos magic view the gnosis, the trans state, the altered state of consciousness and whatnot. So I can see how there would be some of the Eastern philosophy mixed in with the understanding of how he would propose the mechanism of chaos magic. So that's actually a great segue into our next topic, which is the models of chaos magic. And there's a couple that I've heard of, um, and a couple that we've already mentioned already, but does each person kind of want to take a model and we can talk about it? So the the psychological model is an idea that I mean we we touched upon the psych model like briefly in our shadow work episode I believe I feel like we've probably danced around it before but my understanding of it is that it very much follows um, young and Jungian archetypes those are like the core of psych model and it's this idea of like it's often like defined as magic is happening in your mind but it's it's not always so like it's not happening on like a grand on like a on the larger scale but it's basically like the mind is the most powerful object and like when i followed the psych model at the very beginning of my practice i instead of believing in deities in like a very literal hard polytheist sense psych model is more soft polytheist to the point where i was like oh i'm i'm calling upon this idea of thor inside myself and what thor represents in mythology which is like strength and there's oftentimes more encouragement of, you know, swapping out deities or, or syncretism in that sense. That's my understanding of psych model. We're very Jungian archetypal. The mind is the most powerful force. I don't know if anyone has any other understandings of psych. <laughs> yeah, so like, I guess I said before, I view psychology as a psychological part of the mind and like the mind itself as a part of the microcosm. So in a way, like, it's, the, it's like one of the tools. This is, like you said, this is a very chaotic thing to say for me, but like, the mind is the tool that you can take control. And if you have control over the part of the mind, the psychological landscape is one thing. And also like the, how you can enter like the, the outer state of consciousness, like the trans state, the gnosis, the chitta that I was talking about. I don't think everything happens in the mind, but I do see that the mind is one of the powerful tools that if you learn to use, you can use it to affect both the internal world for yourself and the external world. And yeah, I was... Also on the psychological model trained for a while when I started out with chaos magic, because that's one of the first things, because like they talked about the mind a lot, Phil mentioned. One of the first and foremost things that you kind of like got introduced to with chaos magic. And one of the things is that like it, I went into this pitfall of, I feel like everything was in my head, but at the same time, I can see that that's not true. Like, you know, with astrology, if like the psychological model is like the, the, the truest model, if that's the thing, the other magical system wouldn't work the way they do. I have this intrinsic belief that the psychological model is not the, the highest model, but also I feel like everything can be, everything has its place. And I want to know where the, where, where they kind of like fit in together with all the other model, like learning other, you know, traditions. I, I went like the Solomonic route for a little bit just to see, and then like, you know, planetary magic is always my thing. And then like astrology, just to learn where it fits. So then I came to conclusion that the mind is one part of the microcosm that is like very powerful if you learn how to use it properly. 
but it's not everything. So one of the other models is the energetic model. And the energetic model works on the assumption that everything is energy. And thus, since magicians can manipulate energy, they can manipulate reality. Now, we touched on this in one of our Toil and Trouble episodes, but the issue that I have with this model is that the definition of energy is really loose. (laughs) So what exactly are we referring to here? Because physical energy is defined as the capacity to do work, and that's not something that's tangible. It's more of a descriptor, which means that the energy referred to here is more of a a spiritual origin. And in that case, are we saying that this energy exists in the physical realm, or are we saying that it has influence maybe elsewhere in a different realm? I like the energetic model being a scientist, but I do, like, I personally would need to think about it a little more and, like, dive a little deeper to try and see if I could get it to work. And like Cap said, kind of with the psychological model, I don't think, like, any of these models themselves are the only answer. It's probably something in the middle, but that's at least the energetic side of it. Yeah, the last one, I guess, would be kind of the physical model, and that's probably the easiest to explain, right? It's where you believe that, um, say, spiritual entities have a literal physical form, and there is a a literal physical effect on our reality. And I guess you could argue that that's the easiest to to disprove. But again, it, it kind of comes down to whether you believe that that is occurring in a way that we can measure whether it is um, happening in a kind of physical way that we can we can actually see, or if it is more, I think Fell used this analogy a while ago of this um, kind of ripples in a pool effect. So yeah, I think this would probably be the least chaotic of the three models, but maybe I'm way off base here. Captain, this is a question more especially for you as a KO, but what is kind of your theory of magic as a KO? And like, how do you, maybe, do you utilize all of these models or do you prefer one over the other? Do all three have a place? Yeah, for me, it's like everything has its own place within my practice. It depends on what I want to do and what I'm like aiming for kind of thing. If it's just, if I am trying to work on some unconscious habits that I have, I'm going to use like the psych model a lot more, but it also like kind of like affect my internal world. If I'm doing like a spell, I would say like the physical model is the animistic side of it. It really depends on what I want to do with that specific thing. This is how of an astrologer I am. Like I would look up planetary hours. I would look up the auspicious time using like the electional technique of astrology just to like if I can find one, I will I will use that in the spellcraft or like in the ritual that I want to do. If I cannot, I will just do like a pure visualization energy work, which also still involves the planetary correspondent, like the symbol in some way. But it would be more of a, I guess you can say that it's more of the psych model and also like the energetic model together because like this is how I see it. If you can sit in meditation and relax long enough, and then if you observe your body, you can feel like the tinkling sensation, a different sensation in your body. And if you do visualization and then you pay attention to the body, you will feel that the body will react differently. Like the sensation in your body will feel differently. It depends on like what visualization you have. I also feel that with just the planetary symbol of like Saturn, Mars and whatnot, they will feel different. I see that how the mind affect my body. You can say it's like a still like a microcosm, so it's, it's internal. But like with the energy that is built up inside me from the visualization, the actual sensation that is being invoked inside me, I can channel channel that into like the spell world or the ritual that I'm doing. Like I said, like I don't I don't like fully subscribe to the to the psychological model. Not in a way that it doesn't work like all the time. Like, but it's it's not like the 
it's not the only thing. The mind is the tool for you to connect to the macrocosm, as I was saying. So something that I wanted to ask, because we have all these models, and you've mentioned that you incorporate kind of all of them in some various way. But with chaos magic, which is a paradigm which really rejects dogma, um, and it rejects absolute truth, can we really have a singular defining model of chaos magic? Or does it sort of eschew that kind of definition? This is how I see it. Like from my experience as a teacher and as a dance member who teach the younger member and whatnot, in order to get someone to the same point, you might need to go different ways depending on the individual. For example, if you are like in Ohio and you want to go to New York, you just drive up north. Okay, like, But if you're on the west coast, you have to drive up, drive up and then to the right across the country. So that's in order to go to the same place, but from different standpoint, you do it differently. So that's why we still operate in the same universe. There is like something that is like the same, but also as an individual, we are also started from different, you know, like background and whatnot. So it's, you need to understand where you are so you can take like an appropriate approach for yourself to get you to the point of where you want to go, which might be vastly different from someone else, but you go to the same place. You know. That's a great analogy. So now we're going to get to a fun part, <laughs> which um, is the misconceptions that surround chaos magic. And I can start with kind of the one that we all hear all the time, which is that chaos magic is a do whatever the fuck you want paradigm. And this is this is so not true. <laughs> Every time I hear this, it makes me just want to die inside. It's I think a lot of people misconstrue the idea of it being very eclectic and being very experimental with like do whatever you want and find out if it works. But that like isn't really what chaos magic is, especially if you forego the really important part of like keeping really detailed records of what does and what doesn't work and then shifting things to make I'm not talking about shifting in like the sense that TikTok does. I'm just like changing things that reflect like yes this worked or no this didn't i think that's a very important distinction to make like chaos magic is not just a way for you to say like yeah i'm gonna go like a fucking in the astral realm like <laughs> sorry that's not how this works that's like the biggest misconception that i see among um our community anybody else have any examples of that, that they've seen I'm sure it's bloody. I think one thing, because like chaos magic has this saying of like, nothing is true, everything is permitted. It's a, it's a good mindset to have because like it allows you to like experiment with a lot of things, but also like people take it without the nuances and try to do something doesn't have any basis to what they're doing. It's just, you, you cannot just take, you can't just shift your way out of your problem. <laughs> Paradigm shifting is not just try to think your way into Harry Potter or like Pokemon or that kind of thing. Like if you know how to use the thought form to your benefit, that's good. It's not like you are just going to shift and like be in that world and ignore like the actual reality. It's like you are sitting maybe like on your bed in the classroom or whatnot. That's not how it works. This saying of like, nothing is true, everything is permitted is one of the excuses that a lot of younger, I, I usually see, see it with like more of teenagers and not much for like the adult practitioner. I hope they grow out of it. Um, Sarah had a question. Sorry, I'm asking, asking a lot of questions this episode, not, not contributing very much of my own. Um, but what do we think the difference is between an eclectic practice and a chaos magic practice? Are they the same thing or is there a subtle difference between the two? 
I would consider this approach as a chaos magic approach when you have the trance state because like eclecticism doesn't always have the trance state. It just like you take stuff from maybe like folk practice of this tradition and then like folk practice of that tradition, Hellenism. And that kind of thing, but like, it doesn't involve the trans state. That's that would be like the like the main criteria that I would give if I want to like differentiate between eclecticism and chaos magic approach. I also think that maybe there's a difference in the experimentation aspect. Like Ikea would approach different traditions with kind of the desire to like take things and then experiment with them, either to incorporate them into their current practice or just change it up a little bit that like fits them better. Whereas I feel sometimes with like eclectic folk um, practitioners, it's more just a like, oh, I like this from this practice. I'm going to pull that in, but like, I'm not going to change it at all. And I'm not going to experiment with it. It's just like, I like the way that it is now. And so I'm going to utilize that. And like, even my own practice, like, this is why I don't consider myself a KO because I'm like, while I am eclectic in terms of taking from folk and also ceremonial practices, I don't do so with like, experimenting as a KO would, at least in my mind. It's more so just like, this has worked and this has worked. And I think they work more powerfully when they're put together. But like, I don't actually change anything, partially because there are certain aspects of the eclectic practices that I'm not comfortable that I fully understand yet, as I don't want to mess with anything, but also just because I don't really feel the need to. Also something that I don't change because like, I don't understand. Back in the day, I didn't understand this. I didn't change it. And now that I, I understand it, I also don't change it. Because like it's it's complete as it is, you know, like like the LBRP. I try to change the LB I try to like adapt the LBRP. It didn't work as as I planned. <clears throat> so like the LBRP is like complete by itself. You can learn the mechanism, you can learn and understand how it works. It's a full circle by itself. Like you don't just like take things out, it's gonna be something else. And it's not gonna work the same. So that's why changing up things doesn't really give like the better result. It just gives like different things. I look at like the system and I was like, okay, this is like complete by itself. I'll just leave it like that. But like for me, like for my approach to like planetary magic, I refer to the book, um, Seven Spheres and um, Practical Planetary Magic a lot. Love yeah, that yeah, book. great book. Yes. When I do my actual like ritual with them, with the planets, I will have my own way of like connecting to them using the translate and whatnot. Like I will have like the Orphic hymn just to help get me in the mood. But then like I will go into trance and then like meditate and contemplate on the symbol of the planetary energy itself and then just like channel them in. Usually don't go through all of the invocation of like, you know, like God's name, the angel and then the spirits and whatnot. I will just like go for like go directly to the to the contemplation of the seal, just to, uh, not, the, not the seal, the symbol to just get the energy into me. Yeah. Like that. That would be something that I make for myself, for my own understanding of how like the mind and like how the symbol can affect like the energy using the mind to concentrate on it. But yeah, that would be something that I would make for myself, but not like you know, something like LBRP or like <laughs> the ritual that is like already full and complete by itself. Yeah, whereas I'm the I'm the opposite. Like I actually do. Like I invoke God and I invoke the angel, and like I go through the whole hierarchy um, when I do most of my like rituals and meditations um, with particular planets. So that's the yeah. But again, I totally agree with you with your LBRP point. Like there are just some things that we don't change because they work perfectly the way they are. Yeah. So we want to touch upon the next misconception. Um, Cap, this was one that you mentioned. Do you want to maybe expand on that? The avoidance of dogmatism. 
Oh yeah, so this one in particular, I think it's kind of like like the misconception of chaos magic. It doesn't like it doesn't act separately. There is a like a couple of misconceptions, but they don't act separately. They kind of act together in a way that is like it's kind of encourage this. We have been seeing in the community as of late. Um, <clears throat> avoidance of dogmatism is the first principle of chaos magic, and in the way how I interpret it, how I inter interpret this. Um, principle is that like you you can get involved with like the dogma or like the tradition or like the set of like limitation that is like from like various practice but you don't identify yourself with it in a way like you can use it as like in your practice as a tool but you don't identify yourself with it like i don't identify myself as like a like a thai folk practitioner or something i might use like some of the element of thai folk practice uh, like just to Use it in my craft, but like I don't identify with it. I don't attach myself with it. But avoidance of dogmatism has been used in a way as an excuse to run away from any organized system or any organized religion. From one point, I understand because like a lot of people in this modern day have like a very bad experience with their like upbring with their upbringing in terms of like religion. Magic is not fantasy. It has an existential element to it, and that you cannot, you cannot deny those things. And within the tradition that is already been like said, the mystic, the mysticism side of any religion, it has like a set like limitation and rules because it, because that's how it's made. The rule is not for limitation. It's kind of like a guideline of how you would approach things. To understand that. It will help you to understand how like mysticism and magic and the occult work. Studying dogma and studying like a set of like defined tradition will help you understand a lot more about magic. But like you don't need to identify with it. Avoid avoiding identify and attach yourself with one specific tradition, but still approach it to learn from it. Yeah, it's like don't just run off and like shift into you know Harry Potter world or something. <laughs> What you said actually reminds me of people who misinterpret true will in Thelema, who tend to think that it, true will is just like doing whatever you want and that's it. It's just kind of like a very shallow, surface level interpretation of um, those practices. I think I kind of understand because you know we we've I mean we are all we are all adults now, but like we also have been like a child, a kid before. Like when when you're in your house, like with your parents, there would be like a lot of times there would be. The time like you cannot decide for yourself. There is a lot of time that you feel like the rule is being placed upon you, kind of like limits you in a way. So I can feel the frustration of like having a set of rules be set on yourself. Rules has not been used in a healthy way in the society to like uh, like most of the time. Like it is it, is there for a reason. It's there as a guideline to kind of like guide you through like how you would act on a daily basis or whatever. So I can see the frustration of like why you would, why someone would like turn away from rules and whatnot. But yeah, if you want to get into like magic, you can do a lot with it. But it also still has like the existential nature that you need to learn. So I have a question for you, Kapt. When you're approaching something, and maybe you intend to take from a couple of different like traditions to make something of your own, like what? does a sensible approach to dogma look like as a KO? Like, how would you approach it? I guess is really my question. 
it takes time, takes a long time. <laughs> Thinking back, I've been doing astrology since 2017. I started yoga in 2019. At the time, I still, I still like kind of like battling with the mindset of like, is this like actually existential or like, it's just like psychological. So it's like, it takes a lot of time to be able to find the approach that is suitable for myself. There is this thing that if you try to like learn from like different tradition, like people in that tradition will say something along the line of like, oh, this tradition is like the best. Or like, it's like, this is the only way or whatever. And it's very, very hard for you to kind of like keep the mindset of like, oh, that's a dogmatism or like try to keep, get involved with it a hundred percent, but still keep the distance of the identification. If you like read around the chaos, like the chaos magic practice, you will say like the suspension of belief. If you're engaging with some like tradition, you're just like engaging with it like 100% like with all the beliefs that you have. And then when you're not, you just like put it down and then go do something else. The ability to suspend your belief and disbelief long enough that you can engage in one tradition fully. So you learn all about that tradition, like the mechanism, the rules, the deities and whatnot. I think the first thing that I, that I came to, like the, the thing that I came to conclusion for myself is that like one of the things that you, you should be able to silence the mind. That's it interfere when you are experimenting because like if you are like shifting paradigm, you're shifting tradition a lot. And if you are like, you cannot silence the mind. And if the mind happens to like this tradition better, and when you shift to the other tradition, the mind will be just like, this is not, this is not it. This is incorrect. The mind will not stop. The, the mind will not shut up. <laughs> so like one of the first thing that I, that I really want, and like one of the this is like my daily practice as well. If I don't do anything, I would do this. I would sit and silence my mind. I don't have like a set time. I just like do it as long as I can. The way that I suspend my belief and disbelief is as like I will silence the mind. I can fully involve myself with the thing that I do. It doesn't have to be magic or witchy. It's just like, for example, if I'm like dancing and it's like this dance is really hard or something like that. If I can like silence the mind, I can just do the dance without like worrying about like the difficulty of it or if I'm going to mess up or anything like that. Silencing the mind will do a lot for you as a practitioner. It helps you. It makes sure that you are not thinking yourself into it and you can really, really, you can like actually completely perceive something that is like in front of you. If you like sit in silence long enough, you can feel like the tinkling sensation in your, in your body. And when you visualize something, those sensations will change. And that is like existential. It's not something you think, it's not something that you made up in, in your mind, right? And like, if you cannot silence the mind and we, and if something like happens in your body, the mind will just go like, oh, is that the deity? Is that a sign? Is that like that kind of thing? So like first thing, first and foremost thing, silence the mind. I really like that because I think it would take care of a lot of the issues that we see with some practitioners in the community where it's like, the smallest thing is a sign <laughs> or, you know, you get like a single feeling and it's like, oh my God, a deity is reaching out to me. Where in like, in that particular case, it's more of just like allowing, like acknowledging that something is happening in the moment and then like later reflecting on your experience. And then maybe then when you're outside of the moment saying, based on what happened that I experienced just within that trance state, 
here's what I think might have happened. I think it almost gives you like an objective way to view your experience, which is really very beneficial and something that I wish more practitioners would do when they view things that they consider to be like very spiritual um, because they think it prevents you from being too far up on cloud nine and thinking you're super important or, you know, like really unique for anything. I think the discernment part kind of leads into our next misconception, if we want to move into that. Because that was something that I was thinking about a lot as you were talking. The idea of we see this kind of uptick in ideas, or not uptick, but more uh, people talking more loudly (laughs) about these kinds of things, things like shifting, weird time travel, or just LARP and just strange astral realm stuff and what's what i find interesting about it is that they it's like predicated on this point of trance work right like all of these people are saying that they astral projected to mount olympus and it's they go through the mind in in a trance like way and i've noticed that we've seen like an uptick of that and it's almost like they're taking certain chaos magic ideas but like misusing them (laughs) so i guess my question here that i was thinking about if chaos magic has this idea of mind is paramount and um, you know, there is no truth. There's no truth. Sorry. My cat is screaming at me. <laughs> um, there is no, there is no truth, etc. cetera. Um, your own experience is very important. What makes this, I guess to me, like where is the line then or not? Where's the line? Cause I feel like chaos magic is always about breaking the line, but I feel like there's a difference I guess that's what I'm trying to get to. I'm like, what, what to you is the difference between, you know, I'm, I astral projected to Mount Olympus and fist fought St. Michael in Mount Olympus for some reason versus like chaos magic transfer, I guess. I mean, I know there is a difference and I'm just trying to parse out like what, what it is exactly. It seems like in um, these paradigms you mentioned, people are, are doing very much the opposite of silencing the mind, like Kat's mentioned, but they're actually running along with their fantasy and indulging in um, these kind of fantasy thoughts and escapist thoughts. That's the opposite of what um, maybe Kat just described. So I think, yeah, it's it's fundamentally misunderstanding what trance work should be and maybe taking it more into the realm of maladaptive daydreaming um, or imagination. Yeah, they're going in with this like preconceived notion of what they want to have happen. And that is the opposite of silencing your mind and just experiencing what does happen in the moment. Yeah, that's a great point, Hanny. I would say, who's the driver? Are you are you driving? Are you are you the actual driver or is your mind tricking you to think that you are the driver? <laughs> like when I'm in trance, if I am not doing any visualization, it's like it's nothing. <laughs> It's nothing. It's silence. The thing that I focus on the most is my like my body, because like in yoga there is this thing called pratyahara. It means like you pull back your sensation from like the external stimulants back to your body, and then you, you focus on the body before you like the breath, the breathing, and whatnot. And then like you stay there for like dharana and dhyana and whatnot. If you are not doing anything with the mind, there shouldn't be anything. If you start doing it for a beginner practitioner, like they might not be able to silence the mind. You should be able to ignore the chatter that comes up because like you have to you have to understand that you are the driver of the mind. I see my body, my mind, my emotion, my energy as a separate thing from myself because I, I can call it mine. It's my things. It's not me. That something that is mine cannot be me. I practice this like perspective daily 
I go into like like a like a trance state daily just to keep myself familiar with it. If you're in trance and you're not doing anything with the mind, the mind just stay there, silent. It doesn't do anything. If you want to use the mind, it should work for you. I think this is like one of the thing that we see in a lot of people like they cannot like control like the voices in their head, like the detrimental self-sabotaging voice. That's like one. That's like also like one of the the way that the mind can trick you. Because like it just keeps running by itself. Like people in a modern time, we have this because of how we've been trained in school to like think a lot. So like the mind just keeps running, but we were never trained to stop thinking. Like when like we cannot do like math equation or whatever, and we don't understand. Like the teacher would be like, "Use your brain, think." So like we've been trained to think without information. So like the mind just keep thinking. Like without information, like it's just like multiply the limited amount of like the actual information, and it's just multiply it in the head. That's what the mind does. Like for me, if you are sitting in trance and then you just like go somewhere, it might not be a trance. It might just be the mind tricking you. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I think I think that makes lots of sense in the context of people maybe misinterpreting what they're what they're seeing in their visualization. I do like if you are somebody who has who struggles meditating because like same <laughs> and getting into that trance state. I know something that has helped me significantly is having a, a mantra. So mantra, wow, I can't. It's too late. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> mantra. I like like repeating that over and over and over. It kind of helps like get me into the trance state. That has been the most beneficial by far. Um, to me as a practitioner in reaching that kind of state for workings. So if you like, honestly, if you struggle so much with like the classic meditation, it might be worth um, trying to find a mantra that really speaks to you and will help you get into that state. I don't know if anybody else has experience with that, but like that is the one thing that helps me so much. I chant daily for Shiva. I'm I'm a devotee of Shiva, so I chant his mantras. Like daily, well, like when when I first started it, like it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like as like powerful and like as like in the face as it is right now. Like right now, when I finish and I sit down, I just go. It's like I'm there. Sanskrit is its own thing. Like if we were to talk about it, it's like it's gonna take like another hour. <laughs> one of the one of the techniques that you can use to help silence the mind, so like you have something to focus on, to like train the mind. To follow your command in a way, I know that's like like the word command is like a huge controversial word in the <laughs> in the modern time. But like that's I think like I I don't know what I don't know what else to say about it. Like you as the owner of this body, of this mind, of this emotion, of this energy, all of this faculty should work for you. But you yourself also have to train yourself to be able to kind of like. Wield them properly. Start by focus the mind on something until it becomes a part. It becomes like your second nature that you can just like, okay, we're doing this. Come here. Yeah, great. All right. Any final questions or final thoughts? I had one final question, um, like a short fire one. If there was one thing from Chaos Magic that you think everybody listening should uh, would benefit from or should maybe take up, what would it be? I think you just go back to silence the mind. Like I've been saying this to like a lot of beginners lately. Like, like if you don't know what to do for your daily practice, meditate, meditate. It helps you with a lot of things. It doesn't just like help you with like the witchy side of things. It helps you with your daily life. It helps you with you know like more concentration on like whatever you are doing at the moment. It just like it's just a healthy thing to do. Like you have this wonderful, powerful 
tool inside your brain that can like affect you internally and externally. Like it doesn't have to be wishy. Like I said, if you don't have like the healthy mindset to do something, you will struggle a lot to achieve that thing. Like if you don't have like a mindset of a dancer, you cannot dance properly. And like I understand that like like a lot of people, like including myself, we didn't grow up in like a healthy environment for the mind to like develop. And I hope that you guys can like get better. If you can get help, please get some help, therapy and whatnot. I really want everyone to be able to, especially for chaos magician, because like we use the mind a lot. You should be able to like drive it properly, and don't let it trick you that you are driving it, but you just like lost in the fantasy and not being able to control yourself. All right, I think we're gonna wrap it up here. Um, Cap, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. It's been really great to hear from a practicing chaos since none of us really fit that practice ourselves. So thank you so much for that. Yeah, if you haven't already, please check us out on YouTube. Um, we have our first, I think, 10 episodes uploaded there. So feel free to subscribe and we'll get more episodes up kind of as we go along. You can also find us on Instagram. We post three times is three times a week. I think it's three times a week. We post three times a week on there. Um, content usually offering hints as to what our next episode will be about, um, which is always fun. If you ever want to try and guess what the next episode is going to be about, feel free to comment on one of our posts and we will maybe tell you whether you're right or wrong. As always, if you have questions, feel free to let us know um, either in any of the Discord servers that we're in or through Instagram as well. And we will see you next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great day.